when you're online only, people have to trust you. And especially if they're never going to sit in front of you and they're going to give you a credit card from across the country for thousands of dollars for a treatment plan, they have to feel comfortable with you. There's a lot of ways to build that trust, but one of the best ways is to become an expert so that if somebody puts Dr. Mold Diabetes in Google, they're going to get five pages, 10 pages worth of podcasts, blogs, mentions, and they're all congruent. This is Getting to Yes, the podcast with leaders from all walks of life, exploring their successes, mistakes, and lessons learned in influence and persuasion. Getting others to say yes, and then taking an insight or two to help them achieve even greater things. Historically, health practitioners relied on a brick-and-mortar business model, serving a very defined local market. But as the pandemic revealed, there's many benefits to providing patients with virtual options to work with a practitioner and thus increasing access for more patients. As appealing as that sounds, transitioning to a virtual practice is paved with lots of unanticipated obstacles. So in today's episode with my dear friend, Dr. Brian Moll, we'll unpack what you need to consider and what you should expect for the road ahead. Brian is the founder and medical director of Sweet Life Diabetes Health Centers and is widely recognized as a global leader and expert in the field. He is the host of the annual Diabetes Summit, the number one rated Mastering Blood Sugar podcast, and was named one of the top 50 functional medicine doctors in the world. Brian, welcome to the show. <laughs> Oli, thank you so much. It's always great to get together with you virtually or in person. So looking forward to our conversation. Yeah, I really look forward to our conversation as well. You and I are brothers from another mother. We can jam on so many topics. And in the limited time today, I really want to explore the topic of how to go virtual with a practice, whether you're an entrepreneur or especially a health practitioner. But take us back early on, you began with a series of chiropractic clinics. What prompted you to transition to a virtual practice? Yeah, it, there really is a deep history there because I've always been driven by wanting to be an entrepreneur more than anything else. So for me, I found chiropractic and healthcare as secondary passion, something that I loved, something that I thought would be a good way to find some purpose in life and help other people while at the same time creating a business model that I'd be proud of. I could leave a legacy and all that. But for me, it was always a business. I always wanted to be an entrepreneur more than I wanted to be a doctor growing up. So for me, I think that's always been in the back of my mind is how can we grow this? How can we replicate this? How? What's my exit plan? What's my strategy moving mm -hmm. forward? How can I make this business run without it being totally dependent on me all the time. And in chiropractic, that's difficult. Really, in healthcare in general, that's difficult because people get so attached to the personality of the provider. I found that out early on because I would go away for a week and try to hire an associate doctor and my practice would tank and no one would show up. It was like a, I would lose not only the cost of the vacation, but almost a week of revenue. It became unsustainable business model. So 
that led to let me get a partner who is also dynamic and people like, and then maybe we can fill in for each other. And then that led us to try to replicate what we're doing for multiple practices and to try to find really good associates that maybe we could step away. But then I realized after doing that for many years that I was probably even more a slave to that business than before because it was bigger and we needed to meet certain revenue thresholds to be able to pay our staff and overhead and everything else that we were pushing. So this whole process for me has been about like, how do I create a business that, again, I can slip away from for hours a day or go on a vacation and nobody really notices. That to me is the ideal business. That, that's been my quest. And I don't know that I'm even quite there yet, but a lot closer. At some point with multiple chiropractic offices, and I've always been interested in nutrition and fitness also as an aside. And we did a lot of workshops and people like them and so forth. So I started leaning more and more towards nutrition and then found functional medicine, started training with the IFM, and met Tom O'Brien. And he and I talked a lot about different models for how we could do mm -hmm. this. And that kind of got my mind, that was in like the early 2010s. And that started to put in my head this idea of more of a remote style practice or creating products or creating programs that at that time, I was just thinking we would sell or provide to our patients. But and started thinking bigger about it. So that was first step for me is, and it was a, it took a couple of years, but it was giving up the direct patient care, adjusting people, turning that over to an affiliate or excuse me, an associate and realizing that there was going to be, the practice was going to have to go through a transition. So I was building up a functional medicine practice within my chiropractic practice having, at first I did both, and then I had eventually got the courage to turn over all the adjusting to an associate and weather the pains of, I want Dr. Mole, where's Dr. Mole, all that stuff, and, and just draw the boundary and say, yeah, he's not adjusting anymore. I was just doing functional medicine work, and then eventually I did completely move my practice to a functional medicine model. And, and, but it was still in person. So that was, there's a lot of steps here, but that was a big one. That was a big step, which again, in the back of my mind was always like, okay, how can I replicate myself or create something so that I don't have to actually be here all the time doing this work. And, but I felt like it was more doable to do nutrition work that way than chiropractic. You can't adjust somebody over the phone or remotely. I think you can do Reiki remotely, so that might be an option. Mm -hmm. But I think for chiropractic, it doesn't work too well. So yeah, it was that trans transition to nutrition. It was something I was passionate about. None of these were pure business decisions. For me, it's always, what else do I love that I can try to find a way to do without having to be in the room with somebody? And yeah. So I'm curious, what are some of the often overlooked challenges when you go from brick and mortar to online, obviously you said, okay, I had chiropractic, brick and mortar, multiple clinics. 
then you start introducing nutrition, you start splitting your practice, phasing out the adjustments to somebody else, you do more online and nutrition. But for somebody that's looking to make more of that transition, either as a chiropractor or you're trained health professionals, you want to move more into functional medicine, how do you go virtual? What are some of the foundational blocks that you have to have in place to make that transition to virtual? Yeah, so I think there's a number of them. Many of them are within yourself. Many of them are in your own mind and you create them for yourself based on a belief system or based on a mental limitation that you might have, the way you think about something. I didn't really have any mentors to teach me this stuff along the way. There was no one that I, at least I knew of doing exactly what I wanted to do. So a lot of it I had to figure out and I had to, I took it one very small step at a time. And I'll explain that here in a minute, but, and just tested, okay, is this going to work? Is this going to work? How much can I step away and still charge a fair price for, and that people are going to do it? And I just started doing that basically. I, it's funny, it launched... I was I had these small practices. So at some point I decided I didn't want to have a huge monstrosity of a practice anymore cuz we had the high volume clinic. I mean, we were seeing I don't ever think we quite hit 1000 visits a week, but we were in the like 8 to 900 range at one time. I remember my Wednesdays were the big days I would see like over 200 patient visits in a day and it was that model transitioning from that to a functional medicine model where I'm seeing like five people a day or 10 people a day is a huge shift and it didn't happen overnight. But at some point I decided, okay, I don't want the 10 staff people, the marketing team, the the team of spinal screeners going out every weekend. I don't want to be doing lectures at corporations for lunch three days a week. Like this isn't sustainable for me. So I, I scaled way down, cut my overhead way back and I started like renting rooms out of either MD offices or chiropractic offices or whatever. And I had one assistant who would was virtual really. Sometimes she would come with me. She was local, but, and, uh, and so I would travel around to three or four different locations around the Philadelphia area and see people in person. One year we just got blasted with snow. It was like, blizzard every Monday, pretty much. <laughs> and people were coming from an hour away, 45 minutes away. And I had, I would see maybe eight or 10 people in a day. So it didn't take much for me to be sitting there all day by myself, a bad snowfall. And I'm literally sitting in a room and no one shows up or one person shows up. So I got to wait until two o'clock for my one visit. And so we started reaching out to people and saying, hey, why don't we do these visits over the phone? And you know, that was like my first, will this work? Will people actually pay the same amount of money just to talk to me for 30 minutes rather than coming in and sitting down? What year was this? This was like 2013, oh, I yeah, think. Oh, super early. 12, 13. Yeah, early on. And sure enough, they did. They were like, yeah, sure, that sounds great. That's better for me anyway. And then people actually started saying, can I just keep doing it that way? Because I don't really want to drive an hour, sit in your office for 20 minutes and wait, and then have to drive another hour on the way home. So we started doing more and more of those. And then that led to 
hmm, I wonder if I could do this without ever meeting the person. Because I had met all these people in person. So I was like, can I actually sign somebody up from across the country, never sit with them and go through an entire care plan like this? And so we had a couple referrals from out of town. We tried it and it worked enough. It worked often enough that I'm like, okay, this is viable. And then I changed everything around. So I went from I'm your doctor to this coaching model just because I didn't want to have to get too far into the legalities of treating people across state lines and all that. So so we we went to more of a coaching model and that was another big one because I'm like, do you know, I'm, I still call myself doctor, but I'm like, do I really want to position myself more as a coach here than a doctor? I did earn this degree after all. But again, I realized pretty shortly that people didn't care about that so much. And I still think they like the functional medicine and they like that I am a doctor, but they don't need that to be part of their care process. These were all steps along the way. And then for many years after that, for probably three or four years after that, I basically did remote care. My, my patients were all over the country, really all over the world. And I was still talking to them one-on-one over the phone or Zoom, but it was almost always over the phone. There's another big step, but anything you want to follow up on that, I'm happy to answer. Yeah. As the founder of Sweet Life Diabetes Health Centers, how did you decide and then conceive your eight-week blood sugar boot camp and the Mastering Blood Sugar programs? You mentioned that you did general functional medicine, and so now you're transitioning to be maybe more of a coach. I'm curious, at what point did you actually niche down to diabetes and become America's diabetes coach? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, for me, that was a that was a decision. I was doing functional medicine care at the time. So we had a lot of people with thyroid imbalances that we would see. And I wasn't just seeing what came in. We were marketing for specific things. We were trying to find things that people would respond to. We did neuropathy, peripheral neuropathy. I saw somebody else doing that. So we tried that. We tried headaches. We tried all sorts of different conditions. And to varying degrees, they were successful and I enjoyed working with people. But diabetes was like my thing. I just, I was fascinated by it. I loved the results we were getting. And it's not the easiest population to work with necessarily, but the people who are committed, if you can find that percentage that really are committed and really want to change, the results are pretty consistent. And it's like the more I studied that, the more I fell in love with it. So to me, it became this passion. And I think that's important. Of course, most people listening to this are passionate about what they do. And you can't give that up if, if you really want to enjoy your work. For me, it just happened to be that condition that I fell in love with the topic. The more I learned, the more I wanted to learn. I just went deeper and deeper. And I do think it's important to become an expert in something so that people know you as that and then people reach out to you as that. Because especially when you're online only, people have to trust you. And especially if they're never going to sit in front of you and they're going to give you a credit card from across the country for thousands of dollars for a treatment plan, they have to feel 
comfortable with you and they have to trust you. And there's a lot of ways to build that trust, but one of the best ways is to become an expert so that if somebody puts Dr. Mole Diabetes in Google, they're going to get five pages, 10 pages worth of podcasts, blogs, mentions, and they're all congruent, right? It's not like Dr. Mole Migraine Headaches, Dr. Mole IBS, oh, here's a diabetes one. I think you can do that, and you can have a general functional medicine practice, but Again, if you're treating people from, or you're working with people across the country and they're going to trust you and they've never met you, uh, I really do think building that expertise and that niche in one area helps uh, quite a bit. And I'm glad you said this because that's what we see with a lot of our clients that, you know, yes, you may have had a brick and mortar practice and you could survive on being a generalist that can help a lot of people, especially if you have integrative and functional medicine training. But then the moment you go regional or even national, you have to be way more specific because now there's gazillion of generalists. And so why would somebody in San Diego across the country choose you when there's 50 other doctors within a 20 mile radius? And so I think for everyone listening, the one key learning lesson here is if you go national, you better be super, super specific so that people can attach meaning to, okay, this is a global or national expert on the topic. And the easiest way to do it is pick a very narrow swim lane and be the expert in that swim lane. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree with that. And hopefully you can find that thing that you really love anyway. And it's a good feeling too. Like it gives you confidence. I literally am a hundred percent confident that I know more about diabetes than 99.9% of endocrinologists, primary care physicians, pharmacists, and you go deeper too. Like when I was doing general practice, I couldn't tell you the 10 or 12 different medications that were prescribed for diabetes and what their indication is and you know what the combinations are. Now I can because that to me is something that I've committed myself to. And if I'm going to be on the phone with people, I better know what these medications are that they're taking. I'm not going to prescribe them, but I better understand what they're doing. And it's really hard to do that when you're treating 10 different conditions, I think. It gives you a lot of confidence. For me, when I get on the phone with someone now, a new potential new client or patient, I never have any doubt whether I can help them or whether I'm going to be the best option for them. It's just a matter of, is it a good fit? Do we, do we get along? Do we have a good rapport? Do I feel like I can help this person with with their level of commitment and all that. So I do think the more you dive into one area, the more confidence it gives you, and that really helps a lot as well. So let's circle back to how you conceived your program. So you have an eight-week boot camp, and then you have your flagship program, the Mastering Blood Sugar Program. So walk me through your thought process there. How do I arrive at a program that is giving people repeatable results. Again, I assume that when you have your brick and mortar practice and everything is super custom for each client for a variety of conditions, once you narrow down to one thing, how is this powering your business and why is it especially important when you have a virtual practice? Yeah, this is big. And this was another massive step for me because... As I mentioned, I was doing one-on-one 
kind of functional medicine care with people. I was just doing it over the phone. But I still knew in the back of my mind, like, I'm still trapped here. Yes, I can do this from my car or from my home or from the beach or wherever, but I'm still, I still have to be on the phone all day with people. And, uh, and I didn't, like I said, I didn't have a lot of mentors, but I will give credit to, I, to our, I think, Thad Gala, right? Mm-hmm. Gala. Yeah. So I met him probably back in 2014, 15, maybe somewhere like that. And he and I sat down and had some conversations and he shared with me what he was doing, which was he had a, at the time, he had multiple programs, but he had a diabetes program where he put together modules and it was all content. And then he sold that with coaching. And I think he, I think it was mom was doing the coaching or something. It was just a, it was like somebody who had positive results. Mm-hmm. He wasn't really doing the coaching. And that to me was like a mind shift. It blew up my head because I was like, okay, so this can be done. And people were paying him whatever, three, $4,000 for this program. And I didn't know that you could do that. So that was like one of those moments where I was like, okay. I asked him, I said, can, do you mind if I do something similar? And he's like, yeah, sure, go for it. So I said, okay. So I created what I thought was a really good 10 module program with as much content as I could possibly think of, put it all in there, created videos and all that. It was a big project. I don't know if I recommend doing that right off the right from jump, but it did work. And so I started saying, okay, you're going to get this and let a little bit of coaching. So I backed off what I was doing on the phone, but gave them all this core content and uh, people bought it and loved it and participated in it. And we still got great results. So that was a big turning point for me. And then really from there, it's just been about refining that. What else can we create for people? What's missing? What's the best way to deliver this? I actually still use that core program, but now it's like a monthly membership model where we do, we still, it's still a coaching model but it's all group coaching and we give them the core content. So there's no one-on-one coaching in that anymore, but we still use that. I've updated a lot of the videos in there since then, but, but we still use that core content. And then the boot camp was an extension of that. It's okay, what can we do to create more of a challenge? I wanted to create a challenge for people. We created an eight week process and that would probably be an easier place for most people to start is it's what can I teach people over eight weeks, one topic a week that it's not going to transform their life maybe, but it's going to give them all the tools to transform their life over the eight-week process. And we created a module on fasting. We created a module on exercise, core diet stuff, and pretty much all the major elements involved in good blood sugar control. And then we rolled those out. And then I did a live call and then we did an expert call. So I reached out to, I was IFM certified at that time. So I reached out to people like Perlmutter and Hyman and other people who were in the IFM circle, got them to jump on the phone with me and do a Q&A for an hour type of thing, and then created that course. So that was one that we built as we went type of thing. And so at the end of the eight weeks, we had a nice eight week course that we can then 
sell and support without having to do it all live again. I love that approach, this seed launch approach where you build it as you go. People have committed, they have given you money. And I also like the way to think about it. Again, for those of you listening, if you ever onboard a new client, what are you going to teach them over the next eight weeks? I would probably start this and saying, hey, just build a course that is primarily serving new patients coming to your clinic. What are all the lifestyle changes that you want to teach them so you don't have to do this one at one? And then obviously, you can take that construct and also sell it to people that are not yet your patients and just give them, here are some of the lifestyle changes you should be making to make headway with your diabetes. So it can then turn into both a patient education tool that makes their journey a lot easier. You have to a lot less teaching and you can bring in new clients into the clinic just with this online program. So I love that. Yeah, definitely. And so then it just became about lead generation because that's, we were doing lead generation locally with newspaper ads and radio spots and magazine ads and all kinds of things. But nationally, it's a totally different ball game. So that was the biggest challenge for me once I had the, the content in place was how do we funnel people into this content and we still did some of the local work, but then we started doing some Facebook ads and I started just trying to get out there as much as I could. And I think that's for people trying to make that transition and trying to build an audience, an email list, it's, it's a momentum game. It's like a snowball. At first, it's going to start off with 100 leads and then a 200 and 500 and then a, you'll get you'll hit a thousand and be excited and then from there hopefully you can just continue to grow it until you can then leverage that through like affiliate things and so forth and then try to grow from there but that first five to ten thousand lead email list is uh generally it can be a slow process unless you've got a lot of money to throw in, into paid traffic which if you do, if you already have a good practice and a very profitable practice, that would be a good way to, to build your list much more quickly, I think. Yeah, I'm glad you, you talked about lead flow because obviously patients need to find you before they can become clients. And in your experience, what really works best to enroll patients into online programs? What have you tried? What worked? What didn't work? And just for everyone listening, What's the timelines and expectations that they should have? What do they have to be committed to investing in? Yeah, so I'm a big believer in uh, lead generation, nurture, and then offer products. I think you can offer products right away, but our conversion rate, and obviously this is no surprise, but our conversion rate is dramatically different on people who have been on my list for a while. And again, there's a lot of pieces to this and you don't have to do it all at once, but the nurture piece is really important. And it's not just sending out an email once a week. That's where the podcast comes in and getting on other people's podcasts and then sending those links to people and having a regular blog or some sort of information that you put out that's the value add without an ask. So it's here, I'm just giving you something today. And you do that enough and I think you start to build trust with people and that's how you build that expertise over time. 
whether it's YouTube videos or a Facebook group with regular posts and a lot of value that you're putting into there. I think there's lots of different ways to do it. And I know you, you teach a lot of these ways, of course, which is amazing. But you need to find some way, I think, to nurture your leads. And then you invite them either onto a, onto a call or to a webinar, which leads to a call, to offer them a chance to become a client, take that next step to become a client. You really don't want to be getting on the phone with people who you have to sell. You know, that's always been my approach. I don't want to sell somebody my care on the phone. I want them to be asking for my help when we get on the phone. So they're not going to do that if they just saw one Facebook ad. In all likelihood, some will. They've got to view you as the expert, followed you for a while, trust you. And then at some point, they have to say, I've tried this, I've tried that. I'm going to go to this guy or this lady because they really seem to know what they're doing. And then they get on the phone with you and then it's, yep, okay, here's the steps, here's what we do, here's the cost. And they either say yes or no and that's it. I prefer that to having to try to wrestle them into care, do a bunch of objection management and twist their arm to start care by using whatever doomsday scare tactics and so forth. I just, I think those patients are never quite as committed and... I don't want people to have that sense of attitude, mindset, not feeling. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know what I'm saying? So that's always been a big philosophy of mine. So I think that you can bring people in right away off of a book ad to a webinar, to a strategy call, and some will start, obviously. And, you know, you're going to get, you know, what's called the low hanging fruit there, right? You're going to get the people who are ready to go. They were looking for something just like you. They happen to find it and boom. But, but I think you're going to do a lot better if you can bring those people onto your list, nurture them for a while, build some trust, and then give them that offer. So that's our approach. And I found that works well. And this is exactly the reason why you and I are like two peas in a pod. And I have exactly the same thought process that you have to nurture people, especially when it comes to integrative functional medicine. They don't know what it is. So we have to educate on this and then obviously educate them on why you And this is where preeminence is so important that if they see you already as an expert, then it is a lot easier to get the buy-in to move them forward and turning them from being a prospect into a patient. Which reminds me, we just recently did an episode with Tom Blue where we talked about future-proofing your practice. And I asked Tom, if you were starting from scratch, what type of practice would you pick? And it was a fascinating answer. In a nutshell, he identified a number of conditions that have a very high activation barrier and others that have a very low activation barrier. And so if you pick one where people are dying to get started with a doctor, those are probably a lot easier to bring people in and a lot easier to build preeminence in versus something that is a rather slow burn. So he actually put diabetes and hypertension and cardiometabolic at the top of his top 15 list. He said long COVID, long haul COVID is certainly at the top along with lupus and also IBS, IBD. So there's certain problems where patients are inherently more willing to invest in a solution than just seeing it as background noise, yeah, yeah, whatever, pre-diabetes, I'll get to it when I get to it. And obviously, as you said, it's always about where is that low-hanging fruit, the people that are ready to move forward doesn't mean you can't make it in any arena, but you just have to be committed and saying, 
this is who I serve and how I position myself out in the marketplace. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I agree with that. Although I'll just add one more layer to it. And that's, I think I've seen you post this Venn diagram. There's this Venn diagram of trying to find your perfect area of focus. And there's your, what you love, and then there's what you're good at. And then there's what people want, right? So those three circles, mm-hmm. and hopefully you find something right in the middle there. And I do think, of course, you've got to look at it from a business perspective. What are people willing to spend money on? What are people motivated to take action on and so forth? But I also feel like it's got to be something that you enjoy and love doing because early in my functional medicine days, the people with thyroid issues or like Lyme disease, those are always the easiest people to market to and to convert to a care program. I think largely because they were feeling desperate. They were feeling like symptoms were strong enough that they really needed to do something about it. But truth be told, I did not enjoy working with those people. Some people do. Some people love it. And I'm not... I don't want this to come off as callous when I say those people. I didn't enjoy working with that condition, let me put it that way. Whereas diabetes for me was a passion, it was a love. And it is a harder group. A lot of people think it's going to be an easy group because it's obvious that it's a problem and it's a big problem and it's obvious that it can kill you and it can cause you to go blind and wind up on dialysis, kidney dialysis, whatever. The challenge with diabetes is there's no symptoms. So it's trying to, you're working off of a need rather than a want if that makes Mm -hmm. sense. People know that they should do something about their blood sugar. And of course, they don't want to die early or whatever, but that you're asking people to make decisions now to avoid something 10 years from now or 15 years from now. That's not the easiest sell. It's actually not that easy of a group to work with, but I love it. I'm passionate about it. And there's a percentage of people with diabetes who their health is important enough to them that they want they want to see a good number on their blood sugar meter. They are willing to put the work and time and effort in. And so it's for me, it's about finding those people who are really motivated to do that. But it, yeah, it's an interesting... I love the answer. At the same time, I, I just I think you, you need to cross that with yeah. something that you really enjoy also. Ultimately, in many ways, it can also create stability in a sense that because maybe diabetes is harder than other conditions there's a lot less people willing to make the effort to get into that market, which then you don't have to deal with that many competitors either. Now, that's what I found with our marketing agency. Certainly, marketing integrative and functional medicine is not the easiest way of what to market. But (laughs) on the other hand, there's no other agency that said, oh, I want to get into that realm. I was like, yeah, good luck trying. We've invested (laughs) seven years in mastering this. So you have some catching up to do. So I think ultimately, you got to do what you love, and hopefully it serves off all the boxes. Where can people find out more about you and your mission? So if you want to see what we're doing and get a sense for what all this looks like, my website, which is, I don't really use very effectively. It's just like a business card, but it's drmole.com. I do have a lead magnet on there called the Blood Sugar Manifesto. So if you want to get on my mailing list and see what I'm doing, then you can download that and get on the mailing list, which is, by the way, one of the 
best things you can do if you want to learn how to do this work is just find people who are doing it or doing something close to what you want to do and get on their mailing lists, look at their ads, look at their courses, figure out what they're doing, take it apart, buy it if if you want to, just so you can get the inside look at it. And then you can replicate something that's congruent with you and something that has your personality in it. But anyway, so if you want to do that, it's just drmole.com, D-R-M-O-W-L.com. And I do have a podcast called Mastering Blood Sugar, too. So you can check that out on iTunes if you want to. Yeah. Thank you so much, Brian, for sharing all these nuggets. We'll put all the links in the show notes. And as is custom, I always let my guests have the last words. What's the key takeaway that you want to leave listeners with? This can be scary. And so I think you just need to start taking action. I think that's the most important thing is you need to at least take one big step as often as you possibly can as you're moving towards your goals. It's a lot to ask somebody to shut down their brick and mortar practice and open up a virtual practice the next month. But you can take a step towards that. You can make a video or two and put them on YouTube. You can start shooting some Facebook reels or TikTok videos. You can start to create a course that you can share with your patients in your practice. If you are a chiropractor and you work with a lot of musculoskeletal issues, shoot a course on that. You do a stretching program or an exercise course or a basic nutrition course that everybody can benefit from and just give it away to all your patients. Start to generate some testimonials. Just ask, hey, if I give you this course, will you do a review for me? And, and then once you get some good feedback, maybe you tweak a little bit and then maybe you sell it for 10 bucks or 20 bucks or 50 bucks or whatever. And you start to move in that direction. So to me, it's don't, don't try to eat the elephant all at once. Do it one, one bite at a time. So take a step and just keep taking steps in that direction. And then six months from now, a year from now, you're going to find yourself in a totally different position and you'll start to see that it's really possible and that you can do this. Well, amazing words of wisdom. Thank you so much, Brian. And for everyone else listening, we'll see you next week. I believe mastering persuasion is one of the most essential skills in life and certainly in business because nothing ever happens without a yes. Yet we can only effectively influence other people's decisions when we truly understand how the brain makes those decisions. Once you master the decision-making formula, your message becomes ever more clear and influential. Join us next week for our newest episode of Getting to Yes And if you enjoyed this episode, hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever else you're listening. And feel free to share it with colleagues and friends. I'm your host, Uli Iselo. See you next week.